Hello and welcome to Media Literate, a collaborative podcast where a bunch of grad students take your nostalgic childhood favorites and dare to ask, but what if gay? Today's episode is about girls' media. First-time host Andrea Chin-Sang is joined by returning champs Julia and Brie to dig into the books, movies, and shows made for girls and the messages they send. But don't worry, this isn't a pearl-clutching episode where we ask, what are we teaching our girls? Instead, Drea, Julia, and Brie dig into how girls interpret media, to what extent they have agency in making meaning, and the radical possibilities of girls' oppositional readings. We hope you enjoy this episode, not only because it's rad, but also because it's our season finale. What's that mean? Well, stick around and find out. Hi, everyone tuning in. Welcome to this week's episode of Media Literate. Um, I am Andrea Tinsang. I'm a first year MA in the Cinema and Media Studies program at USC, (laughs) along with my lovely co-hosts, Julia and Bree. Um, I guess you guys can intro yourselves and amazing hello i'm julia you might recognize my voice or not from a few episodes ago um i am also a first year ma in the camps department at usc and i am very excited to be here today on this lovely podcast and i'm brie i was on the DD game studies episode also part of this first year cohort and excited to talk about girls media today yay yes so i don't think i said it yet but we are talking about girls media today um, we each have a vested interest in this um, content, media, however you want to think about it. Um, yeah, just both on our personal level, you know, a lot of these texts and films and shows have a nostalgic value for many of us, um, but also on a more academic and critical level. Um, so yeah, so today we're going to be thinking um, mostly about this central question, which is, do girl viewers make meaning or are they passive receivers of ideology? So I think especially when we think about um, children and girls in particular, or these sort of feminized subjects in many ways, um, this question of agency and whether um, they are active or passive consumers is really an important question we need to consider. And I think though this episode is gonna be sort of focused on this, um, I don't know, specifically on girls media, I think this definitely speaks to a larger question about you know, whether we are or can be active or passive um, consumers of media at large. So yeah, that's sort of um, the significance of the question, I suppose. Um, but yeah, in sort of thinking about um, you know, whether girls can sort of freely make meaning out of these texts or whether um, you view media as sort of, you know, this tool for transmitting hegemonic ideology. (laughs) Um, I think it's (laughs) going to be important to kind of establish some context and dive a little bit into the theory before we get into our more interesting discussions of uh, Twilight and High School Musical and all the texts we love. The spectrum that we're gonna be looking at starts on one end with dominant or preferred, um, dominant or preferred reading, excuse me. So this sort of end of the spectrum is that audiences are um, understanding the text in the ways that the producers of the um, media want the audiences to view um, the media. So. You know, if you're looking at an ad of a coach bag, um, obviously coach wants you to buy the bag and the way that uh, the consumer will look at it, will engage with the ad will be, you know, oh yes, that is a nice bag. I will buy that bag. (laughs) And so that is sort of the (laughs) intended purpose of the ad, right? Um, And then sort of in the middle area, I suppose, 
um, would be a more negotiated reading. So this is in a way a compromise between um, you know, the dominant end of the spectrum and then the oppositional end of the spectrum, which we'll get to. Um, but this is really, this middle ground is sort of the idea that audiences can recognize sort of the intended meaning that the producers, um, you know, intended to get across, but also um, this recognition that there are some cracks or gaps um, that the audience can sort of create their own meanings within. So it's not completely accepting whatever meaning is sort of transmitted to them, but it's not also like a total rejection of whatever's going on. And then um, the final end of the spectrum is a more oppositional reading. So this is really about like reading against the grain, reading against the text and creating sort of a totally new meaning that might completely go against whatever the producers um, intended. So a little bit um, heavier in the theoretical um, part of our discussion today, but I think it'll be important in kind of considering um, you know, or breaking down this passive or active um, binary, I think it might be more beneficial to think about the ways that um, girls and children and people who consume girls media, you know, the ways that they are both passive and active and we can get into that. But yeah, I think a spectrum might be more helpful in sort of breaking down um, binary understandings of these things. And we're all about breaking down binaries. Yes. <laughs> that was so well explained, yes. Andrea. Honestly, incredible. Be my professor, please. Um, yes. I can't stop thinking about this. And I also cannot stop thinking about this in the lens of like how much hatred uh, girl media gets all the time. And I know that's something we're going to touch on, but like, that's one of the reasons I was really interested in like joining this episode because like, it's insane how much hate is like, why? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. yeah, I think honestly, sort of these emotional responses to girls media is definitely one of like the most interesting um, parts about studying this sort of text anyway. Like, like on one end, like you said, like, how do these um, different films and shows and just like girls culture at large, why does it produce such hatred in people? Um, which, you know, I think a simple answer might be like, oh, misogyny, you know, but um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know, it's interesting, but I think kind of going hand in hand with that, um, hatred might be sort of this shame that I think we can unpack um, you know, throughout the episode, but like, I think one of my sort of goals in looking at this sort of media is really unpacking the shame, both as just, you know, a media consumer and like being able to just sort of watch whatever media I want without this weird uh, guilt trip or like embarrassment, but then also sort of like as a person early in their academic career, just sort of like, why should I feel like I need to justify why I want to look at these texts and look at this sort of media, you know? So for me, it's kind of a twofold question, but I definitely think it ties back to Julia's sort of, you know, recognizing these variants um, that come about when we talk about these texts. Um, yeah. It also, yeah. it relates to me where you think about, I feel like there's this idea that art can be like good or can be enjoyable and these things don't always go hand in hand. And part of me finds valid validity to that. Like, I think it's, yeah, you can enjoy something that's trashy or you can say that was a good movie and it wasn't for me. But also part of me hates that because I want to be able to say, no, that trashy thing, I want to call that good. I, so yeah. good. honestly, as much as I love like in the 1950s <laughs> obscure footage for analysis, like part of studying like gender studies and queer theory is to be able to apply it to the things that like affect our lives and affect like really like wide audiences. Yeah, so in sort of talking about these um, emotional reactions and I guess sometimes we're sort of pressured into these more ironic viewing, um, ironic viewing experiences, I guess. I'm not sure what terminology I wanna use there, but um, I'm always wondering if we're like doomed to have that sort of ironic viewing experience when we're looking at girls texts or when we're looking at trashy texts in general <laughs> um but I guess 
we can kind of transition this conversation into maybe what our guilty pleasure shows might be either now or when we were younger. Um, yes. Lay it out there, <laughs> expose yourselves. What okay. are your guilty pleasure shows or films or texts? I'm gonna dive in because I've thought long and hard about this in the last 15 minutes that we've been talking. And so as you were saying, this question of shame is complicated because there's definitely some trashy media that I am not ashamed that I love. Yes. Um, <laughs> and my favorite example of like trashy, like girl, like quote unquote media that I love is Jennifer's Body by Karen Kasama. Uh, Ooh, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hear me out. So the story <laughs> behind this always blows my mind, right? Because Karen Kasama is this amazing feminist director. The story is incredible. Literally man-eating zombie with like queer, undertones how can you not love it but literally the distributor was like oh this is like not going to sell on that premise like we're not going to sell this to girls we're going to sell this to horny teenage boys because (laughs) and that story stuck with me because like I remember watching this like in my girl years right I was probably like around 13 or something when it came out and I was obsessed with this movie. Like also, okay, like, you know, I was baby queer. I didn't know, I didn't know. <laughs> I just remember being obsessed with this movie and it was like all this like targeted like marketing towards boys and like trying to like get like it, like these like weird thirsty posters of like Megan Fox posing. And I was like, this feels disjointed. And then I found out years later why it was that. But so I'm not embarrassed for loving that. Um, yeah. This just like triggered a memory in me because I watched this movie <laughs> and I was trying to remember like what context or when I watched it. And it was definitely at like a high school slumber party with like, Ooh. you know, when you're like just get to high school and you're like, these are my friends now, even though you don't really know people very well. And I think this was even before I like came out slash like realized I was queer and everyone was kind of like making fun of this movie. And I was just like kind of uncomfortable and like not sure what was going on. Ah, that's a oh fun God. feeling. I also, I remember watching this with a lot of like other girls my age at the time. And I was like, mm, this is like, <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, it's just a horror movie. I've watched like 12 times. Why don't we put it on? And so, yeah. Yeah. That I'm not embarrassed about, but let me tell you okay. what I am embarrassed about loving. Please. I am embarrassed about loving Looking for Alaska by John Green. Ooh. Ooh. It is on my bookshelf right now staring at me. And- <laughs> I was like, oh, I was embarrassed about liking it back then because very like baby manic pixie dream girl character. But I was also embarrassed because I loved the show they made on Hulu this past like <laughs> two years ago. And it was terrible, but it was good. And I'm a ba- I'm embarrassed. So that there, I've shared my guilty Amazing. pleasure and the shame I carry. <laughs> <laughs> now release the shame. <laughs> I love that. Um did you have another example? oh yeah well okay. what I was thinking about in terms of like I guess sh- like something I feel guilty about or something that like there are things that are bad like Jupiter Ascending is a movie people call bad that I will fight <laughs> people for like I will defend this movie right um but I was thinking about a lot of the YA books I read like as a girl and I read like all of the Vampire Academy books a lot and looking back on it I am like I would reread those and enjoy those and not be able to tell you why I liked them then or now because they're just I don't know but that would probably be the like guiltier one you know I love it oh I love like the time investment in a book you know like you're committing to taking that book on like at least like a week journey oh and like not even all the books were out I was eagerly waiting for the next ones There we oh, go. I love that. That's so cute. <laughs> Baby Brie. Yes. Um, gosh. Yeah. Kind of like I said, I've been really trying to let go of these feelings of shame that I might have had. I mean, this is sort of leftover from my own childhood. I was very much taken in by the I'm not like other girls mantra. Um, so my entire adult life has kind of been unpacking that and <laughs> releasing that shame. Um, but I guess something I'm guilty about in the present moment, um, I guess would be the Descendants movies on Disney Channel. Um, it's mm-hmm. just like the most awful like dubstep soundtrack <laughs> and it's very strange. Um, and it's not really something I can defend but it's just like a lot of fun and I would rewatch them and yeah I I think that's also like I just have always been obsessed with like the idea of um like I I mean descendants (laughs) like the title suggests but sort of like 
playing with this sort of Disney canon. And like, I love that idea. So I think that's probably why I still enjoy them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I'd be guilty about. Um, oh, I think of a specific one, but I would, every once in a while, I just have to read like the worst shoujo manga ever just for oh, like yeah. serotonin. And it can just be, <laughs> the weirdest premise and like most plotless <laughs> sort of average shoujo manga but yeah every once in a while I gotta get a little bit of shoujo manga just for the serotonin release yes yeah. so. you know what this got me thinking about too is like how much of the media like that we talk about that's like girls media is like not made by women or girls or yeah. like mostly made by men and like I know the vampire academy books are I think written by a woman yeah Right, but like um, the Descendants and looking for Alaska and stuff, like it's like it's it's like men packaging something for girls that then we have to like hate and be ashamed of. I'm interested in that cycle. Just gonna put that out there. Oh, that's so true. I mean, Kenny Ortega is my king, so like I'll let him pass for Descendants because <laughs> <laughs> um, he gave us High School Musical. Um, Very true. But yeah, that's definitely uh, a great point, and like I'm usually thinking about the ways that like adults are sort of making content for children because there is sort of that um I don't know this gap or the you know just in the process of becoming an adult like what parts of our childhood do we lose and like mm. how well can we translate that experience back to children themselves um but definitely like the gender aspect of like the people creating and like yeah yeah like John Green like has a stronghold on <laughs> like coming of age stories you know so and he's repented for his sins you know <laughs> he's made public amends for the the shitty female characters he's written and I think he's doing his best to like be better um which is good you know we love yeah. to see growth but sometimes sometimes it's more insidious than like maybe John Green you know who also taught us everything we know about history so he gets like a pass <laughs> Yeah, I think especially when we go back to like this question of ideology and the ways that media sort of, you know, can transmit that, like how, I guess it's important to think about how like these sort of producers of media, like how they're injecting these more maybe patriarchal or heteronormative sort of ideals. And mm -hmm. I think definitely questioning like the role that men play in creating this content like just I don't know going back to your question because <laughs> I'm just yeah. like oh this is such a like yeah weird aspect to it but um it's crazy yeah. honestly or like there's also like the phenomenon of like um a lot of like female producers being brought in on shows like Sesame Street and like being in charge of kids media as like kind of a gendered reduction of what they can do mm -hmm. um so like there's that whole other aspect like I mean I know like I had a friend who's like mom worked for like the Sesame Workshop or something like a few years back and it was just like it's just like very interested to it's interesting to see like how like so much of like film and tv production is like exclusive to men except when you can open it up to things like children's media um which like feels like oddly skewed right and confusing um, and like, I'm sure there's some weird undertones of like, oh, like women mothers, they must know like how to deal with this, right? But I just wonder how that also plays out. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm bringing all these questions in. Mm -hmm. I don't wanna get us off track. No, I think that is sort of um, an important question and maybe it'll kind of lead into maybe if we wanna define what we even mean by like girls and girl media, um, but definitely there is this question of like, why is, I think this is a question within childhood studies at large as well. Um, but it's kind of like, why is childhood sort of this feminized sort of construct, right? Because childhood itself is sort of a social construct in many ways, because like, how are we defining a child? Like, is it based on age? Is it based on experience? Like that in itself is something that will vary across cultures. Um, and then also like, if that itself is sort of this construct, I think it's interesting to think about the ways that we define girlhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
I think in many ways it's not just tied to like biology or age but it's sort of I don't know based on like experience like I, I think I was reading um this paper gosh I forgot who the author is but it's called like undefining girlhood or something mm. and the author really breaks down you know the ways that girlhood itself is sort of it can be applied to many different age groups so like if you can be like an older woman but let's say um a woman is like a virgin or something she's more associated with like childhood in many ways and that's kind of like a weird problematic thing to think about um but yeah I, I think the ways that it's like experiential based and not just like yeah. age is sort of a weird creepy thing that we can unpack um that's like very yeah. interesting for me to hear because one of the things that I feel about like the word girl is that's never something I particularly struggled with growing up but since being an adult and also being an adult that's like more non-binary than feminine like it is a word that if someone like tries to describe me that way I like cringe a little like it's like something I place distance between myself and like that and I don't know I don't know what the source of that is like because it feels sometimes infantilizing or just like it feels distant from like what I am now and I don't know what the source of that is that's really interesting I so I worked on a project a couple years back where we were talking a little bit about some of these terms with like a group of like trans performers in a documentary and I remember it was really interesting because a lot of trans men were talking about how like the term man was this like kind of threatening entity but boy had a safety Whereas like trans women were saying that like girl was too infantilizing, but woman felt more like apt in describing kind of their gender experience. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also that weird, like, like even though it's still operating in that like difficult binary, I just think it's like interesting how girl has so many negative connotations and doesn't quite offer like the safety and boundaries of boy. And, you know, I think also a lot about like some of the theory written about like child media and children like kind of um, geared studies, which is like the idea that most children are like these empty vessels, right, who like take in media, like they're so little, they're like taking in sensory kind of environments and things like that. But that affordance of like vesselness doesn't quite like dissociate within girlhood like it just keeps mm -hmm. going whereas like boys define their character and they you know they stop being the vessel but like in girlhood that's like a little more nebulous and difficult and I think it goes back to the question you were asking at the beginning Drea about like active participation versus like this passive consumption yeah that actually makes me think about um something that I've been thinking through like I think I've talked with at least Julia a little bit about this, but um, sort of this new term or not necessarily new, but emerging in popularity, the, the idea of like tweenhood and like mm -hmm. being a tween, which I will just say it here, <laughs> the term makes my head like, it makes me cringe, but like, I think thinking about that sort of age, like pre-adolescence, especially in like and like girls um, or, you know, AFAB people, it's just like, I don't know, it's always this idea that girls are sort of moving towards something and that there's never this stability, which like, I guess you can say, um, you know, with a term like boy, you know, a boy becomes a man, but I don't know, I'm thinking just like in the empty vessel theory, like the ways that girl just connotes sort of like this, oh, she will become something. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes mm -hmm. any sense, but <laughs> just thinking about the ways that like tween and girl are sort of always signaling this sort of passage. Um, and, and in that, like, um, I don't know, in that sort of becoming that opens up the possibility to like fill the child with you know different meanings or uh, values I guess like I don't know if that made any sense but um no, I, yeah. think, I think what you're saying makes sense I want to like I want to see if I can challenge you and can you tie Please. that in to Ooh. Twilight or High School Musical for me <gasps> okay. primary text has entered the chat time. okay so I definitely can see that in High School Musical. I am not necessarily the Twilight expert here. 
I am Twilight familiar and ready to talk about it, but I will I'll defer. Be expert of yes, this, I will defer <laughs> Twilight to Julia. Um, but Great. I definitely think um, High School Musical can definitely sort of challenge this in some ways. I've been thinking about Troy Bolton a lot. <laughs> like, <Bless. laughs> occupies my thoughts, and I'm just like, there's just something about that character that just he's so angsty and just never is getting the answers he wants and I actually viewed the third film as a tragedy um maybe I'll get into it but um I think okay so Troy Bolden is presented with two options and it's this like inability to choose between these two options that is really the heart of the story or like the central angst that is really guiding like Troy's journey. So Mm -hmm. the two options, I think in many ways speak to sort of this um, really, I guess to sort of masculine and more feminine sort of um, idea. So like (laughs) on one, this is going to be queering Troy Bolton now. This is our queering. (laughs) Thank God. But really the two options he's sort of presented with is like basketball and um, and then like musical theater and like singing and dancing and that sort of thing. So I just am, I've really been thinking about like the ways that these two options have been, are like very gendered and high school musical itself is really about like, I mean, they have a song about the status quo and like it's really about <laughs> the ways that these um I don't know, gendered stereotypes are like reinforced. And I really see Troy more and more as this sort of like queer character who's really trying to like find his own identity between these very like masculine or like, I I mean, for me, I definitely see like musical theater as more of a queer space or like, a um, yeah, I, I don't know, just a, a oh yeah, definitely queer <laughs> than, uh, basketball in some ways yes. although I guess and, you could definitely challenge that but yeah and within high school musical like the leader of the drama club is feminine so I mean yeah and then um you know I mean Sharpay is obviously um uh, a gay icon yes yes, yes <laughs> icon. but then also her brother Ryan is this very like queer coded character and he's really I think the only guy in the show who embraces musical theater so that's true and then the who embraces like, baking remember that's like his like big reveal at the end yes, yes. <laughs> but um yeah so you have like chad who's i mean he's literally a chad you have chad who's sort of like his best friend and who's sort of representing this very masculine um stereotype and he's like troy like basketball bro right so you have like that is sort of on one end and then you have like ryan and this very like queer coded character who's into musical theater on the other end and I think like Troy definitely is trying to navigate his identity and I gotta go back to Scream. Okay. Scream is like Beautiful. wild. You, you gotta just look at the lyrics. It's poetic <laughs> but <laughs> the whole song is he's literally like screaming out because he feels trapped between these two options and he wants so desperately to have his own sort of identity or to have his own choice and so I I don't know I just keep thinking more and more about like how Troy in many ways is dealing with like the gender binary and like I don't know in this time of transition he's still feeling like constrained by these ideas even though this should be a time where he's sort of like you know I don't know coming into being and constructing his own identity um, it's very sad. High School Musical is very sad to me now, but I still, I still um, I love this though. This is like a dissertation worthy material. <laughs> so I don't know if that goes back to uh, your question, Brie, but queering Troy Bolton. Yeah. And the idea of him being in a like transitionary like place, but still having this like pressure and these like gendered binary expectations. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I mean, I guess you could make an argument that him being able to choose basketball and um, <laughs> musical theater is sort of like, ooh, a happy compromise. He can be both. But 
I think it's really just doubling down on the gender binary and I don't know it's just sad like he never gets yeah. his own choice it's either like his dad's dream or Chad's dream of like basketball or um or like yeah or like musical theater so I think it's really interesting because coach Bolton there's this like line you're the guy Troy you can't just be a guy that is doing mm. whatever like you're Ooh. the guy and that line is just like wow like complex well, so I'm going to weigh in as the Twilight. Yes, please. First. We've heard from the high school musical so, expert. Let's yeah. get the Twilight expert up in here. <laughs> I know we said this we said this wouldn't be a debate, but I am entering this with the force of a debate. Yes, where's so. the bell? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let me, let me, let's talk about Twilight because yes. we know this cohort loves Twilight. So let's get into it. Um, I want to talk about the idea of compulsive heterosexuality. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we love the buzzwords but i just i want first of all the the idea of a love triangle between like two dudes and this young girl is like a very interesting kind of like dynamic because like at the end of the day like bella i want to like her but she is the empty vessel like they do not do her justice like stephanie meyer step it up um because bella is the empty vessel like you're she and she's very much like dre was saying like not like the other girls like she's an introvert she likes to read and journal and google vampires i mean don't we all but (laughs) but, uh, she's just like she she like position she's positioned in the story very much as not like the other girls and that is precisely what kind of makes her the vessel who's like perfect for this love triangle to take place because all of a sudden all these like interesting like uh, vampire and werewolf men are like, interested in her but have we considered why they're interested in her possibly because of this possibly exactly because of this and I just think a lot about that and I think about how like that very much constrains her into the dynamic of compulsive heterosexuality where her choices like her major choice in this entire franchise is picking between them um and that's like a really odd dynamic to navigate and I think that's like not necessarily the best thing to be giving uh young girls who like look up to the screen like I mean I was I love Twilight I really it was everything for me at a time where like I did not have all that much going on and I just really felt connected to the story and then I really felt very connected to Kristen Stewart and Mm. I was like I was so team Edward like I had the shirt I had like every like I was obsessed I was like blogging about it on Tumblr and I was like I'm so obsessed with Edward this is it and everything but then I spent the next five years of my life watching every single movie Kristen Stewart was in and I was like "Hmm." (laughs) (laughs) why is this Mm-hmm. So I kind of came to the conclusion that while this does kind of promote this sense of compulsive heterosexuality and it does not leave much space for like a queer interpretation, it sure did queer me. So I would also argue, and this is because I rewatched the film yesterday and I don't think I've watched Twilight for like in years and rewatching it. Like, she looks so uncomfortable. He looks so uncomfortable. Like, there's something I could understand my, like, queer teenage self seeing, like, yes, this is what heterosexuality is like. It is awkward. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. It is forced. Like, there's something about the way that it almost, like, feels intentionally brought to the surface, which Mm -hmm. was not on my mind when I was, like, however old I was, like, 12 when these came out. But rewatching it, I was like, yeah, this movie gets it. (laughs) No, 100%. And I think about that discomfort in the heterosexuality like a lot and I also think about it because like Stephanie Meyer herself sort of had like injects Twilight with these very like heteronormative and borderline Mm. religious sort of ideas about like relationships and yeah I mean the story ends with a marriage and a baby like yeah (laughs) also very complicated because like you said like like are they even ever happy like being together like any of the straight couples like I don't know and um and then also I guess kind of a tangent but just like the vampire itself is a very like queer oh yeah and so it's very interesting to try and make this very like queer figure 
fit into this heterosexual like model or dynamic like I don't know I, I think Twilight is just such a great text to sort of really look at the gaps between like what Stephanie Meyer was trying to maybe sort of for sure tell us versus like what I think a lot of um not just girls but like people who like younger people who consume Twilight like sort of um I don't know saw like the the possibility right that's so true and I think like my favorite thing too is how since then Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson have been in like the queerest content ever and I mean Kristen Stewart (laughs) is queer now um like has since come out and I just think and like I mean I'm sorry but The Lighthouse is like the gayest movie I've ever seen. It's a lighthouse. <laughs> the lighthouse. So I just think that it's interesting that going through this like girl media and like I know that like they talk about how traumatic it was to be the faces of this like girl media um, and how much hate they got and how difficult it was to navigate that and break out of that. So I think there it's interesting how much we impose on this media and how much comes out of it down the line. Yes, definitely. Um, I was trying to think back to like how I can sort of put this like querying Troy Bolton back into our bigger discussion about, um, about, I mean, just like, you know, whether girls are, you know, also having these sorts of conversations and discussions about high school musical. Like, is it a very like heteronormative text or are they sort of seeing like the queer possibilities within the text and I think at least like uh in recent years sort of the um the popularization of the Chad and Ryan ship I think that definitely sort of speaks to more and more people recognizing that High School Musical isn't just necessarily like a Romeo and Juliet sort of a story like I think there is so much tension sort of embedded within High School Musical and even just in the way that High School Musical sort of explores like gender um in a similar way to Bella like I (laughs) I've basically called Gabriella a concept at this point because there is so much lacking in her character and yeah I mean (laughs) I have a whole like theory about how Gabriella is just a representation of like music and that sort of possibility for like it it gets kind of wild these are like 3 a.m ranty thoughts but um (laughs) at least you got to be a woman in stem let's just (laughs) (laughs) Just that out there but yes (laughs) um but yeah just comparing like gabriella who's supposed to be like um this sort of empty vessel but like the good girl versus like sharpay who is the sort of villainous ambitious Mm -hmm. sort of character yeah, I think definitely like the text itself, very similarly to Twilight, like these contradictions, I I don't know if, um, you know, it's just completely like trying to transmit these very um, cis hetero like uh, values into girls. Like I, I definitely think there are possibilities, um, not just for us who like us adult people who are obsessed with these texts can see, but I, I definitely think, <laughs> there are these sort of like discomfort and like I don't know this awkwardness that I don't think is completely invisible to um Mm -hmm. people like younger people watching I'm not sure if that made sense but I wanted to tie it back to that (laughs) (laughs) I'm also because you brought up like how the popularity of this ship has taken off or just that had me thinking about how like fan fiction was something I was very into in middle school and just what that says about how girls are consuming media like there's my cannot passively (laughs) decide to make fan fiction about something like you can invest in Twilight and then say this is how I want it to go which to me just speaks to like that active presence where it's like I'm going to watch this and be dissatisfied and then make something new and maybe it's not that like angry dissatisfaction you would get from like you know activism but it's still that kind of seed of like I'm seeing what I want to see in this media and then doing what I want with it. I love that and like it's such a great space too like I find that generally especially like fanfic media generated by teenage girls is like some of the best like tumblr spaces you'll ever find like people are so supportive it's like great everyone's having such a good time and like I do think that really stands as that like kind of active contribution to media and to girl media and another thing I've been thinking about a lot is how like I think TikTok is operating as like kind of like this new 
form of like digital platform for a lot of like girlhood like expressed in ways that's like controlled by girls themselves and like it has all its bad sides right there's like a lot of sexualization and like uh, it's just complicated but there are some spaces I think that are like really good in terms of being able to give agency back to like girls themselves I'm so happy you brought up TikTok because at the very beginning when we were talking about guilty pleasures and things, one of the things I was thinking about is like, I almost feel like the girls guilty pleasure media I consume right now is this stuff on TikTok that ends up on my feed. Like it's not my entire feed, but I often get like young queer teenagers and I'm like, go you all, yes. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I'm like happy that came up again. Well, because that's the thing where I was thinking like, what would be the modern fanfic really? Like what would be the modern space for that? It's like really that. And like also the number of people I see who are our age who are like deconstructing their childhood medias on TikTok is astounding and I'm here for it. Yes. I just wanted to go back real quick and thinking about like TikTok and fanfiction, all these things, like back to this idea of community, Julia, Um, Mm -hmm. like I think that's a really integral part about uh, girls media and like what we're discussing today and and I don't know just like on one hand like being able to connect and also like perform this sort of labor in order to create the stories that um, you know these communities of girls and you know younger people want to see like them creating the media they want to see um, but then also like this collective effort for I don't know, kind of, I guess the collective effort to create these uh, really like safe spaces to really explore and push um, these ideas. You know, like I'm thinking specifically here about like fan fiction and like super erotic, like very strange kinks and stuff, you know, like I I always remember seeing like um, different comments and like author's notes and being like, love you guys. Here's my like wild, kinky, crazy, like um, fan fiction about, you know, Hermione and Ginny in a closet and, you know, just like some kind of really out there sort of thing. And then people just like hyping um, the authors up. And yeah, I, I just think that like communal joy and like freedom is something that is like really promising and like exciting to think about, you know, when discussing this sort of media. So yeah. You know, and I just realized because I love that point and going back to the idea of community, like when I think about it, the whole not like the other girls thing, it's not that you're just not like other girls, it's that you shouldn't be interacting with other girls. Like it's yes. essentially telling you like, you can't hang out with like girls who like this kind of media. And so it's like super isolating. And I think that that's so terrible. I just now realized kind of that connection. Um, because like one of the best things about being like the age of like a girl right is like those friend groups that are so easily accessible at like the school age level and it's like such a shame when the media that you like to engage in together is like shamed from the outside but if you're isolated on top of it you're even more shamed and you have even less like resources to turn to oh my god the internalized misogyny is trying to divide and conquer us like oh my god (laughs) never never (laughs) that's such a good point though like yeah it's really sort of about like isolating girls from each other and then sort of creating or like fostering these like really competitive environments where you're like I'm not like other girls and like adding more and more like um I don't know like values that you shouldn't be like um Mm -hmm. and so much of it can lead into like obviously like further issues of like predation on young young girls and like if you isolate them right they might like turn to other like platforms with older people or like telling girls that they need to be more mature or that they are more mature and that they can't just be their age you know can lead to those patterns of predation that are like even more insidious than just like you know the the hate of the media so that's terrifying it makes me (laughs) sense yeah the the not like other girls thing is very interesting to me because it's become such a prevalent or commonplace sort of phrase where like I feel like the specific instance is how like Twilight does it and they're these like the teen media that does this in the way we're describing like I think what everything everyone's saying about it is very valid but there's also this like subset of media that I consumed that's like not like other girls because I cross-dress and in 10 years we'll probably realize I'm trans like there are definitely those like pieces of media I read growing up that it's it's not like the I'm not like other girls in my interests or whatever I'm actually very 
like other girls honestly but there is also that like not like other girls because I'm into tomboy and masculine stuff and those sorts of ones I like just there's just a small part of my heart during this it's like but those ones are cool I like them yeah (laughs) I love that but you know the the thing that I think is so sad is right like that I feel like that should be like other girls plenty of girls should have that space right of like understanding gender as more than being a girl and I love that that exists right and that that helps like people kind of navigate this and I think like it's important to remember that like girl media isn't just like propaganda of like femininity like I think it's like really opening up in a lot of ways that I think is positive I mean there's a lot of work to be done right but I'm like optimistic that like soon that won't be the exception right you can find your like identification regardless of like your gender experience, your sexuality experience, and, like, what you're going through at that age. Yeah, I I really love that point, Brie, and, like, I think also sort of breaking down this idea of not, like, other girls, you know, maybe we can sort of move beyond this, like, typification of girls, and therefore kind of break, like, these very gendered ideas of like what girls are kind of like what you guys were saying and let's just like really open up what it might even mean to be a girl and have these very different expressions and forms and hopefully you know media more and more will um you know be able to represent those sort of experiences but I kind of like to be um optimistic as well Julia but (laughs) it's so funny because when I, I like discuss this sort of stuff on a more like theoretical level like Mm. I'm like oh I'm like optimistic that maybe you know but then when I like watch them I'm like oh no (laughs) like (laughs) I just I can't help but be like no what are the messages you're telling young children you know like yeah so it's definitely a challenge um kind of navigating like back to our central question like how (laughs) can girls like make meaning or you know are we were we doomed to sort of just be you know accepting this sort of ideology but you know I think the girls that are being raised right now are gonna fucking shit all over it I think think they're I I'm so like I I really think that the system the way it is like will not uphold like that much longer like as much as like it's like very deeply rooted right and institutional I think there's a lot of like promising stuff coming out and like I like love like the younger gen z kind of like (laughs) attitude of just like I don't give a shit about anything like fuck every gender norm or like anything you've ever fed me like it's it doesn't matter so they're gonna burn it down yes I think that that's all we can hope for I wanted to bring up, so Drea had mentioned this before, but I'm trying to think like, what are examples um, right now that you can think of that might be like more gender neutral, Mm. more expansive, more inclusive? Because I'm trying to think of like, obviously like I don't spend as much, I mean, I don't watch children's media constantly. And when I do, it's usually like my nostalgia content. But I'm like, do you guys know of any examples right now that are like interesting or promising? I don't know if it's girls media necessarily it's I think it's targeting a little bit older of a demographic and I haven't watched it myself but I know that there are more um I think there are there's at least one non-binary character in the new Sabrina series Mm -hmm. and like uh, yeah I, I don't know I haven't watched the show so I don't know how problematic or whatever it might be but I know there's definitely more like gender representation um on that show I don't know if that's a positive I'm trying to think of what else because I'm kind of in the same boat like there are shows I guess on Netflix so I don't know the exact target audience but like the Dragon Prince and She-Ra and like some of these new animated shows that have either queer characters or queer relationships or Mm -hmm. like all of those that I've watched as an adult and greatly enjoyed but also I think could be consumed by a younger audience yeah definitely I think animation is um being a little bit or able to be more progressive I guess Mm -hmm. maybe there's something in like having the 
anim- and animation as a medium rather than seeing real queer people that makes it more accessible. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't really know, but yeah, I think animation um, yeah. for sure is a space where there's a lot more representation and cool stuff happening. One of the other examples I had on um, that I recently saw, so like I think Sesame Street genuinely is fantastic in terms of like actually evolving with like the needs of kids like because like in a large part it raised a lot of us and I think like you know a few years back I was super excited because um they had introduced uh, a new puppet and her name was Julia and she was the first autistic character on Sesame Street and like that was super exciting and now this past year they've introduced the first trans uh puppet that's going to mm. be coming to Sesame Street um, to like help kids kind of navigate how to like just approach this and approach friends that like are going through that and uh, that are like transitioning or maybe changing name or just like how to talk to your kids about this and they did so much like they did a whole segment on talking about like the police and kind of what's been going on over the past year and I thought like it's like incredibly progressive especially given that the demographic age is like under like seven six years old. No, that that makes me like really happy to know yeah. that you're doing like really cool things. Um, that's great, and I I think that's also sort of hitting at um, a theme maybe that we can pull out, but just like being able to take kids like seriously and to be able to sort of explore these more complex and like nuanced debates, like or not even debates, but just like things going on in our culture. Like it's really. Um, inspiring to me to know that Sesame Street is treating like kids um you know with respect and just like you know recognizing that they're little human beings that can understand these concepts and it's not that difficult to sort of convey the importance um behind these you know changes in our culture so I don't know if that made sense but yeah I'm trying to think about books and maybe we don't even need to go there because so much of my like middle school media was like YA novels and like definitely a lot of the YA I've even read in the past few years has been very queer but it's also like it is what I am now finding it's less like oh this is the top 10 New York Times bestseller and it's also queer it's more of like oh I just looked at these witches won't burn because it is like queer YA witches um so yeah I don't like I'm trying to think if I can think of examples that were like this is definitively popular and queerer or like you know more open I'm not sure I think YA literature is always like kind of at the forefront of this kind of (laughs) it's just the forefront of my heart (laughs) (laughs) and like it's probably why it's less like popular just because there's like so much of it all the time and like I love that so much about it um but it's always at the cusp of revolution yes I went to the YA section of a bookstore the other day and just was happy (laughs) incredible honestly well I was doing like some coverage at a company at one point a production company and they did like just YA and like some stuff was amazing some some stuff was like so cutting edge I was like oh my god this is the future and some stuff was like definitely someone who was just like oh this is the easiest way to get published (laughs) let's just put this together and I'm like no 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 no, none of that (laughs) I'm trying to think if like maybe you could even think about like on one hand if not being able to pick out like if a show is like, like, oh, that's very clearly queer or not. Like maybe if you can kind of flip it and be like, maybe the normalization of like queer characters in like YA novels and like different shows, like if maybe we could see that as a positive thing. I don't know if that is necessarily what's happening, but maybe I'm just not actually privy to like queer shows going on and stuff, but maybe like, I don't know, kind of just being able to talk about it. Like, to talk about Adventure Time or like Steven Universe or something like just as a show and as a very popular show rather than like, oh, well, we're mm-hmm. talking about Steven Universe because it is queer and like, you know, I don't know that, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I think I that think might was... be inspiring or like a positive thing that we're seeing. No, that's a great point. I was thinking about that a little bit the other day because it's true that like, oh, I, I, it's kind of unnerving when like things are like so like, lauded for being explicitly queer versus like like just not really it's not like it doesn't matter as much it's just like blended very like eclectically into the narrative like I um for the very first time I'm watching The Legend of Korra right now which I know many people love and I've just been playing it off for no no good reason (laughs) but what I love about that show is like her queerness is like just seamlessly blended into the narrative and like 
that is part of the normalizing and the just like kind of uh, uplifting of high quality content that's not necessarily centered around the theme to make it high quality. So that's a great point, Drea. Um, that, that sort of like leads me to a question. I don't know if we want to like finish on this question, but I've been kind of thinking about, you know, the, I guess, effectiveness or like whether we should even be aspiring to create more like progressive girls media, or if the move is really towards more like gender neutral content that is not really as gendered, like, I don't know. Um, I don't necessarily have an answer. I, like in my mind, I'm thinking maybe moving towards um, more gender neutral content, but is there value in having girls, um, I don't know, media like targeted towards younger girls, younger like AFAB people? I don't know. It's just a question to throw out there. <laughs> I just, yeah, I would, I think that is definitely like a good tension and I also hope that maybe some of these elements of like girl media that we love so much and like that are not necessarily that rooted in gender a lot of it is like very campy performances and like interesting characters and things that are maybe coded as feminized for no good reason like I just want those to be able to blend into like that gender neutral media because it's like kind of a shame to miss out on that you know yeah like I like that idea of just like let's have girls media with the same pleasure it provides and just have it not be as I guess labeled as like specifically or as like this has to be for girls totally yeah and maybe in that move we can sort of unpack the shame and anger that we started <laughs> the episode yes. yeah therapy <laughs> yeah let's take away these more like negative aspects of girls media and just have it be something that everyone can access, even if it is sort of labeled as girls media, maybe, you know, it can be more gender neutral and it's, uh, you know, I love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like have like a really butch beer in the garden while listening to Britney Spears. I think that's the like, less here <laughs> of gender and girlhood and everything. So. Yes. Okay. So a common theme throughout many episodes of Media Literate is to do a BuzzFeed quiz. Um, so I think we can end on all of us doing a BuzzFeed quiz live. We're going to be doing um, the quiz, which classic teen movie you're most like? Um, <laughs> I already took it, but Bria and Julia are going to take it live. <gasps> so. yeah, okay, Drea, can you tell us what you got or is this a secret? Oh, I can. I can brag because I got Twilight. So. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> best. best answer. Okay. Wow. Um, let me read the little blurb. Um, okay. So I am Twilight. You're a bit of a misfit and you're unique. You're sometimes Not like the other girls. Please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're sometimes a pessimist, but you have an exciting romantic life. <laughs> a pessimist yes um exciting romantic life I don't know I'm in a long distance relationship so there's not much <laughs> but yeah so okay Brie let's find out our fate then see yes live up to Drea do you want to take the first question oh yeah so the first question is what's your style crop tops and mini skirts hipster look casual look or jeans and mini bags mini is that I, I'm like, what is I didn't understand what that meant. And I was like, what kind of jeans are we talking? Are we talking like <laughs> baggy jeans, boyfriend jeans, skinny mm. jeans? Like this is complex. It's like, are you gonna be a stereotype or not? Like I need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Interesting. I I mean, I'm just gonna go casual. Yeah, like yeah. me too. I just I can't I can't with these others I also went casual I was like oh, okay we're all gonna be twilight <laughs> okay next we have choose a photo it's some lipsticks a cat with sunnies on um an apple okay and uh one of those like hippie volkswagens like buses so okay I mean the apple I think is definitely screaming twilight but to be a contrarian I'm gonna pick the cat with Glasses. Oh man! See, I also like the cat with glasses, but I don't want to like, I don't want to encroach. Mm, you can honestly. I just feel okay. like cat with glasses is like it's the kind of perfect stereotype. I go with your heart. Just <laughs> I love it. 
I went with the apple because it was the most like mm. earthy photo. I was like, this is really gonna be like twilighty, but yeah. Gosh. The next question is, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> There's smart, meh, desperate, or pretty. There are four types of people you oh can. Oh my be. god! <laughs> the best alignment chart I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, how- I'm, I'm gonna say smart. I'm gonna go with meh. Why not? Okay. okay. I so I'm meh. feeling pretty meh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pick something to eat. Okay, so we've Plus. got wow, these are complex images. We've I got have no idea what half the foods <laughs> one of them are. looks like a bougie kind of cauliflower, like eggplant uh-huh. dish. Then there's just chips, then there's just apples, and then there's like a full-on veggie buffet. Oh my goodness. Um, and cheese buffet. But mm, you know, of all these, I'm going to pick the apples. I just need mm. some apples. I'm going to go with the veggie and cheese trays. Honestly, I also went with the veggie. I was like, I can like make a salad. Like, you know. True. Okay, this question is choose some shoes. I can tell you that some are just like flip-flops. Some are pink high heels. And then there's two forms of like lace-up like sneaker type shoes, but I could not tell you which is which. I'm not a shoe person. So they have oh. the Converse high tops and then the Vans. Mm. Um, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so Converse is a Bella and... I don't, who even wears I don't wear any of these things (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm gonna pick the converse for Bella and because I did own some in middle school I'm I'm gonna go with whatever these red ones are (laughs) (gasps) I got twilight okay Julia you're gonna love me I got the fault in our stars oh my my god (laughs) (laughs) it says you're kind and lovable you'll do anything to be with the one you love and you're a gracious and strong person I love that. That's actually adorable. (laughs) So cute. Wow, we're full circle here. I love that. (laughs) I wonder what we missed. Oh, one of them was Clueless, apparently. Ooh, that's like very different. Like that's a different generation. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the range of like. Oh yeah, so the two others were Clueless and Mean Girls. Okay. So we got no mean girls at all in here. <laughs> like, we're not like movie. other girls, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You know what? When you're an academic, you're not like the other girls. You're really bad. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Well, now that we know that Dre and I are Twilight and Brie is the very exceptional fault in our stars, <laughs> um, should we maybe check in on a certain twilight um situation going on we need to talk about kevin it's time to call kevin (laughs) season finale kevin call yes yes (laughs) so we've heard that there's some sketchy stuff going on with kevin yeah he left laura like a really interesting and strange voicemail so mm-hmm. we're gonna check in and see what's going on interesting interesting okay so first of all we're gonna see if kevin is okay but more importantly we're gonna ask if kevin has finally seen twilight so let's mm-hmm. call priorities hello hey kevin uh hey how's it, how's it going hey what's up not much not much yeah it's funny it's funny calling. i was just rewatching like one of my favorite scenes ever in all of cinema like uh, there's no reason to guess what it is i mean it's pretty obscure but in all of cinema i mean it, okay what my... more movies do we know guys i haven't seen a yeah. lot of them yeah. but... 1917 uh, oh my god yeah that's one you, scene you, you don't know me at all you don't know me at all it's, it's the twilight baseball scene the Twilight baseball scene. Kevin, you you have you know this about me? Oh my gosh, I love those movies. <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, uh, what happened? Okay, so okay, okay. Walk us when through what's did, going on. Yeah, what's going on here? When did you watch Twilight? I, I like I grew up watching them. Are you kidding? Okay. Um. 
I think we're all collectively being gaslit here, but you got to quiz him, guys. We got to we got to see what he knows. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's quiz. Okay. Um, hmm. What is Edward's father's name? What was that? I'm sorry. Okay. What is the Cullen's paternal figure name? Uh, it's uh, Carlisle, obviously. What? Oh my god. <laughs> Dang, this is legit, guys. Um, I, wow. Well, I don't know what's going on, but I guess Kevin's seen Twilight. That's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. And a special thanks to those who've listened to the whole season. We open every episode calling this a collaborative podcast, in large part because we're all so excited and honestly surprised that we were able to pull off a 15-host show with a group of people we've never really met in person. So if you stuck with us for that journey, you're a real one. Next season will bring some big changes, and we're excited to share them with you. But first, we've got to take a few weeks off to recover from finals. We'll see you in season two. Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elzey, Sebastian Wurzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, and Julia Rose Camus. Thanks again to this week's hosts, Drea Chin-Sang, Sabrina Sonner, and Julia. Sabrina also edited this week's episode. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by Julia. <laughs>